Grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I know you guys love it when I bring things and set them on this stool. So I brought some measuring cups today. I had the, just the, you know, the normal ones. We have those at our house, the normal ones, the silver. They're all bent up, out of shape, dinged, water stained. I had them in the car, and Amanda's like, what are you doing with those? I'm like, it's cups. I need measuring cups. She's like, let me go get the nice ones. So, ladies, these are for you. She thought you would appreciate the nice ones. I'm not allowed to touch them, though, because if I break them, I have to buy them. That's literally what she said in the car on the way here. If you break those, you have to buy me new ones. Ephesians chapter 3. It's so great to be back. I missed you guys last week. I was uh, preaching at uh, my parents' church, the church that I grew up in. In Missouri, and so that's where we were spending kind of post Christmas. Uh, so we've been gone two weeks, and we just got back home uh, last night at 10 o'clock, and everybody else went to bed, and I tried to figure out what we were going to do this morning. I already had it in my heart, but just trying to put it together because we've been in Missouri for a long time now. And when I go back to, to Missouri, it's not just coming back to my family, uh, you know, cousins and grandparents, mom and dad. It's kind of coming back into history. How many of you live in Houston now, but you did not grow up in Houston? Houston is not kind of your home place. Well, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you go back to your place, your home, wherever that is, it's more than just visiting. It's, it's like you're coming back into uh, an important part of your story. So my poor family, when we get into my hometown, we never drive anywhere in a straight line, ever. We don't ever take the fastest route, the most convenient route, the normal route, or even a good route, because I'm detouring all over the city and showing them, hey, this is where you know X, Y, and Z happened to me. Amanda and I have been together now, uh, married for 10 and a half years, uh, dating 12 and a half years, and so she knows all the stories because I've driven her by those places you know, every time that we've ever visited, and so now she just jumps in. And so I don't even pay attention to her anymore. I just turn back to my children and say, you know, this is a big moment in daddy's life because right here, I ate a great donut. You know, that's what happened there. Like, for example, my poor children, my poor children and my poor wife, but she's used to it. I, I worked, I don't know if I've told you this story. If I haven't, I will, because it's one of my favorites. My first semester in college, my parents said, hello, you got to get a job. And so I started working for the groundskeeping department at my university. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I had a zone and I would pick up trash, not the mowing. That's cool. Not the planting stuff. That's cool. I was a trash picker upper with my hands. They didn't even give me one of them sticks things. I had to pick it up and put it in a bucket. That's what I did. I drove them by one of my zones today or, you know, the other day. Uh, That's what we were doing in Missouri because it's history. You know, it's coming back to history, coming back into where I used to pick up trash. And like, I'm proud of it now. Like right there, I picked up a dead animal and I put it in the trash can because I didn't know what to do with it. That happened. (laughs) That's why um, New Year's is such a big deal, you know, because really who cares about the calendar year? You know, that could just happen without fanfare. But on New Year's, we look back to what was, and we look forward to what will be. That's why we do New Year's resolutions. Anybody besides me got a New Year's resolution? Like, are they out? I guess they are out. Like, it is not cool to do a resolution. I apologize. I'm late on the boat because I have a few. But you've been there, and you're just ashamed to admit it. Or maybe you're kind of, you know, couching so that if you don't fulfill it, nobody will ever know that you had one. I'm guessing that's what it is. But resolutions are a look back on the last year. And and in some way, we didn't like what we saw when we looked back. That's what a resolution for. It's 
As I'm looking back, and I'm not a big fan of what I saw, and so now looking forward, I want to make some changes. But probably the reason that New Year's resolutions are out on us, especially as the people of God, is because who cares about New Year's resolutions, really? I mean, mine, and I have a few for this year, they're really small and trivial. And I'm just going to be honest, my New Year's resolutions, some of that I have, aren't going to matter in 100 years. Like in 100 years, it will not matter that much if I was 5 pounds heavier or 5 pounds lighter. In 100 years, it won't matter. In 100 years, it won't matter if I was more organized. In 100 years, it won't matter if I read more books this year than I did last year. Uh, in 100 years, it probably won't matter that much if you, you know, finish strong on whatever it is that you've got in your little calendar right now. In 100 years, it probably won't matter. But we just turned the page on a calendar. And 12 new months are staring at us in the face. And that is a gift from God. The turn of the calendar is not a divine right for us. So you've been given a new year. It's a gift. And as a gift from God, we need to be good stewards of that gift. Good managers of that gift. And I think the question that all of us need to wrestle with this morning is what will we do in the next 12 months that will matter in 100 years? What are you going to do this year, this week, today, that will affect your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and on and on and on? What are you going to do in the next 12 months that will affect anybody besides you? What will you do that will affect your workplace, your street? What resolution are you going to set for yourself this year that will have some overflow and some spillover into the life of your neighbors. And that's how we get to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing from prison, so I don't know where you're making your New Year's resolution, but if it's not in prison, then you're one up on Paul. He's writing from prison to the church in Ephesus, a church that he loves. You can read about how he was there in the very beginning of that church in Acts chapter 19. This is what he says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now if you notice, if you look closely, this isn't a statement, it's, a, it's, it's worship, it's praise. Now to him who is able. So he's at this moment not really writing to the Ephesians as much as he's writing praise to God himself. And the reason he's in that mode is because of what just came before it. Look back up a, a few verses to verse 14. He's going to pray this amazing prayer on behalf of the Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he's just prayed this amazing prayer. And when you read it, I mean, you know, we read it fast. But if you go back and read those sentences, that is an unbelievable prayer. 
I mean, look how it ends in, in verse 19. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, we don't even know what that means, but we know it's awesome. We also know that it kind of seems impossible. I mean, picture yourself filled with the fullness of God at your desk tomorrow. I mean, picture yourself filled with all the fullness of God while you're operating whatever machine it is that you run at your place. I mean, picture yourself in the fullness of God in like an hour and a half when you're on the couch taking a nap. I mean, yeah, that's, that's nice, but... And it's like Paul sensed that doubt and skepticism in us. He, he, he knew we would hear that prayer, that we would know the depth and the height and the width and the breadth of God's love and we'd be filled with the fullness of God and we'd be strengthened. He, he knew we'd hear that and go, that sounds nice. I'm thinking that's just religious scripture speak. And so he just launches into verse 20. Now to him who is able to do be above and beyond of all that we ask or think. So he intercepts our skepticism and our doubt. And he says, no, listen, I know I just prayed this amazing, unbelievable prayer, but God is able to do even more than that. That phrase, above and beyond, in my Bible, in yours it might say exceedingly abundantly more, which is a very fancy, much more pretty way of saying above and beyond. It's a measuring term. It's the idea of having a measuring cup and above and beyond or exceedingly abundantly more is, is, is whatever you're measuring, the cup can't contain it. Like the cup is too small to contain whatever it is you're me- measuring. So it's going above and beyond the cup. It's exceeding the cup. That's why I have the measuring cups right here. It reminds me of Psalm 23, verse 5. You know, you remember what it says? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. What does it say? My cup, it overflows. So Paul is just echoing what had been written hundreds of years before in Psalm 23. God fills up cups. That's just what he does. So you don't even have to wonder this year, will God fill up my cup? No, he will fill up your cup. That's what he does. Your cup, it should overflow. That's abundant life in John chapter 10, verse 10. That's what Jesus said. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that they may have life and life more abundantly. Abundant life in Christ is your right from Christ. So it doesn't matter what 2013 is like. Just be, because you have a full cup, an overflowing cup, doesn't mean that the cup is not filled with difficult things. It doesn't mean the cup is not filled with pain. But when you get to this time next year, as a follower of Jesus, if we obey Jesus, if we were in tune with the work of Jesus, you will be able to look back and say, my cup overflowed. The question for us this morning is not, will God fill up your cup? Will he meet your expectation? Will he deliver to you what you need? The answer is yes. It's in his nature to fill up cups. The question is, how big a cup are you going to give him? Is it going to be a small cup of weak faith and no expectation? Is it going to be a medium-sized one? Is it going to be the same one you gave him last year? Hey, just more of the same. Last year was great. Just looking for a little bit more of that. Just repeat. You may say, God, I'm going to give you a little cup because 
you can fill up like this it with like spiritual stuff, you know. So yeah, if you want to do above and beyond in prayer and you know like make the Bible interesting to me as I'm reading it a little bit more, that would be fantastic. If you want to make church a little bit less boring, that would be amazing because somebody drags me here and I'm not a big fan. You know, whatever. Hopefully that's not true. And so sometimes we give them just this tiny little cup to fill up because we're busy trying to fill up the bigger cup ourselves with work and power, money, prestige. So you take the little one, the stuff I don't really care that much about, spiritual stuff, and I'll take a stab at the bigger stuff. So the question isn't, will he fill up your cup? It's, yeah, he will. How much expectation are you going to have? Really ask yourself this, how much peace do you need in the next calendar year? I mean, do you just need just a tiny bit of peace? Do you want to live with a lot of anxiety and just a little bit of peace? Then give him a little cup. Or do you need a lot of peace? I mean, how much boldness do you want? How much courage do you need? How much backbone do you need in the next 12 months? Because if you just need a little bit, well, praise God, give him the little cup. He'll fill that up. But if whatever you're facing is more than you can handle and you need a lot of boldness and tenacity and courage and backbone, then hand him a bigger cup. How much joy do you want? Flat out, hilarious joy. That's your right as a follower of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living in you, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. So if you just want a little bit of joy, then thank God and hand him a little bitty cup because he'll fill it up. But if you get crazy and you want a lot of joy, then hand him a bigger cup because he fills our cups. He does above and beyond. It exceeds our expectations according to what we ask and think. I love that because it's a, it's a game changer for me because if I'm being honest, what I dream up that God could do with me, through me, in me, around me, I'm usually thinking that's the the limit of what he might do. Like that is the boundary of what he might do, the finish line of what he might do. You'll notice this if you if you think about the size of your prayers that before you pray you kind of give yourself an off-ramp just in case God doesn't do it. Like we're preparing for disappointment before we even pray. I don't know if you've noticed that. As you pray, it's like, God, I'm asking you for this big thing, but I'm already preparing myself for the disappointment. And what happens is, right from the very beginning, we end up protecting ourselves from God so that he doesn't disappoint us. When, in fact, Romans chapter 10 says, he will not disappoint you. Now, that doesn't mean everything you lay out in front of him, you get. It just means that he's not going to disappoint you. So don't protect yourself from him disappointing you, because he will not disappoint you. Now, there may be some things that you don't understand. There is mystery in this world. And we live in a brokenness of this world. But he does not disappoint. But it's according to all that we ask or think. So what are we asking for? I mean, if he is able to fill up our cup, 
do above and beyond? What are you asking for? Again, again, I think most of us are not asking for anything. We live in these two realms of prayer. The shallow and the deep. There is nothing in between for most of us. It's shallow most of the time. In fact, I would guess 90% of the time our prayers are very shallow. It's very surface. You know, like when you're, you're walking through some place or you, you know, it's a Christmas party. You remember Christmas parties you went to and, and you're kind of working the room over. I mean, you've got like three basic questions, right? And you've got them in your pocket and you're just pulling them out. You're hoping that no one le- gets together after you leave and go, hey, what did Curtis ask you? Well, he asked me, you know, how I was doing. And I said, hey, he asked me that same thing. And then he asked me, uh, you know, um, how's work. Well, he asked me that same thing too. And then he asked me, uh, you know, how's the family? He didn't even know my family's name, but he asked me about how the family was. Hey, he asked me those same three things. That's what we do, right? That's surface conversations. And all we're really looking for is some surface answers in response. Just keeping it shallow because I'm on my way somewhere or I got to do something or I don't know you that well. You know you like to keep it shallow because when somebody doesn't give you a shallow answer to one of your shallow questions, it like throws you off. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing terrible. Oh, really, I was just, just being friendly. It was the same as a smile. That was all that question was, was just a smile. <laughs> just a smile. I'm away. But that's what we do with our prayer. Let's keep it shallow. God bless me. Be with me. Help me. Help them. Be with them. Thank you for stuff. It's just shallow. Until the bottom drops out, and then we get deep real fast. And when the results come and they're bad, or when the test comes and it's inconclusive and more tests need to happen, then we go straight for the depths. When we get into a situation that's way beyond what we can do, then we pray. But that's only, that is only when we are so desperate we don't have anywhere to turn. Everything but else in between is non-existent, and I would guess for most of us, we're not asking for anything. Just a great sprinkling of some heavenly favor dust to land on me, to make my life better. And so we look around and we go, you know, I don't see God at work around me that much. I don't sense his presence near me. I don't see any miracles, any signs, any wonders happening around me. I mean, I read that in the Bible, but I don't, I'm not seeing that come to play and come to life in me. Well, it's because he inspired James chapter 4, When he says, you have not because you ask not. Listen, God will answer your prayers. He will. And if you don't pray, if you ask for nothing, it's terrifying to think he might give us nothing. If you ask for a little, he might answer that little prayer with little response. Is he able? Absolutely. We just read, he is more than able. But he has attached his response to our asking. And his response, his above and beyond. It starts where our imaginations end, not begin. It's more than we ask 
or we think. And then look at what he says next. According to the power that works in you. And what power is at work in us? Well, we know the answer from just a few verses before. In verse 16, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of, riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that power comes through the spirit in our inner man, in your soul, in your spiritual being. Now, we just got done singing a song about the Holy Spirit, and so some of us are like, yeah, I get that. And others of us are like, I don't have any idea what we're talking about. So just a quick review, so we're all on the same page. The Holy Spirit is God. We worship one God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He deserves honor as God. We worship Him as God. We pray to Him as God. Jesus loved the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus ascended up into heaven, He promised His disciples a gift. Imagine how they felt. Jesus, who they loved, who they had dedicated their lives to, who they had seen do all these miracles, these signs, these wonders. He, he dies. Hello. Dies. He dies. And then He's raised up from the dead and He appears to them and they're overjoyed. And then He's like, but now i got to go again. Imagine how they're feeling. And so to comfort them... As he's leaving, he says, but don't worry, it's good for you that I go. It's good for you that I died and was raised and now I'm ascending because I'm sending to you a gift, the Holy Spirit. Imagine if if at Christmas, underneath your tree, you woke up Christmas morning and your wife had bought you something, your kids had bought you something, and there was an amazing present from Jesus and it was legit and not like somebody being super spiritual and gave you a Bible, but like it was legit and it was from Jesus himself. What would you do with that present? Would you just leave it there as decoration? Would you set it on a shelf and be like, that's my present from Jesus. Well, what is it? I don't really have any idea. I just know he was pretty excited about it and he put a bow on it. And so there, I just set it on the shelf. I thought that was the right thing to do. It is around. The present is around me all the time. I don't know what's in it. I don't know what it's for. It's just around. No, that's not what you would do with the present that Jesus gave you. You would open it up. You would receive it. You'd figure out how to work it into your life. Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a gift straight from Jesus, that those who follow Jesus and those who have given their lives to Jesus get, and he, the Holy Spirit comes and he lives inside of us, and we are his temple. And that is where you get power. Now, every once in a while, you'll get into a situation in your life where you know that you need more power than you're able to muster up yourself. Most of the day, you can probably handle it, but there are situations in life, especially if you've given your life for the cause of Jesus, that you will need more than you have. Um, I I think I mentioned uh, at some point, a a family in our church had a little baby back in uh, the fall, I think in November, and, and she was a sweetie, but she was born way too early, way too early, so she had to spend a month and Uh, a few weeks in the NICU up at the hospital. And so I went up to a visitor a handful of times on Mondays. That was uh, me and Molly's day. We would go and hang out on Mondays. But, uh, you know, her mom had already gone, you know, home and dad was at work. And so when I would go to the hospital, it would just be me. And so it would be me and Molly. Well, Molly doesn't talk, you know, obviously, because she's just a tiny little baby. And I would walk into the room, and the nurse was giving me the stink eye the very first time. And so I was terrified. But I'm like, no, my name is on the list. Clergy. Clergy. You know, you don't break that word out very often as a pastor because it's not a very cool word. When you're doing your taxes and when they don't want to let you in the hospital room, it's like clergy. See? You know, clergy. Let me in. 
And so she's like, okay, you know. And I go in. I go into Molly's room, and she's in the little incubator thing to, so that they can regulate her body temperature. And, and you know, what, it's a weird moment because I've come for two reasons. A, so the family knows that, uh, that I care and I know. And B, I came to pray for Molly because, hello, she's in the NICU. And we hear that a lot. You know, oh, she, you know, she had to spend a few days in the NICU. But that's a big deal. That's a real big deal to see your little one all hooked up to the tubes because they came out too early. There's risk there. And so obviously me and Molly are not going to chat, and I came to pray. And the, just the weight of that moment just fell on me. Because I'm like you, and you just pray a lot, I guess. And sometimes I pray, and I don't even think about what I'm praying. It just comes out. But this... I knew this moment in that hospital room, like this mattered. And it mattered to her parents whether their pastor had some power attached to his prayers. It mattered that I just walk up there after paying the parking toll to do my religious deed. It mattered that when I opened my mouth and I turned my face up to heaven, that they knew that there was something at work inside of me that was unnatural, that was more than I could muster up with my religious strength and willpower. They needed to know that the man who leads their church has the power of God at work in him. And that's not just for pastors. That's for anybody who claims the name of Jesus, who's been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have the power of God inside of you. And it's according to that power that above and beyond is born in your life. So do a power check. You've got that little meter on the side of your house or apartment. It's just always spinning, in it? It's always measuring what's coming in and what's going out. So just start measuring Listen, uh, remember the story of the woman who comes and grabs the hem of Jesus' garment? And what does Jesus say? I felt power go out of me. Check. Is power coming in? And is power coming out? And if not, if there's not any power from the Spirit of God radiating out of your life, it's not because it's not available to you. It's because it's through the Holy Spirit that that strength comes. And so you may not have the kind of relationship with the Spirit of God that you need to have to have the power that you need to have. The Holy Spirit may just be a gift from Jesus that you have set on the shelf and go, I know it's important for something I have yet to discover what it means to me. But it's according to the power at work in you, which is the Spirit of God that above and beyond is born in your life. And then look at the next part, verse 21. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I love this because this is the guardrail for us. Because I hear above and beyond in my flesh, you know what I want to do? I want to apply to apply it to all the stuff that I want. All the selfish things that I need. Bigger this, more this better this. I mean, isn't that what you want to do when you hear, oh, God can do above and beyond. God can fill up your cup. You're like, yeah, I'm going to give him a big cup because I want a big house. 
I'm going to give him a big cup because I want a big bank account. I'm going to give him a big cup because I want big fame in my world. I'm going to give him a big cup because I want big sales. I'm going to give him a big cup because I want uh, big respect. God can do above and beyond. Amen to that. Here's my big cup. Give me, give me, give me. But this is the guardrail that when he comes and he does above and beyond in you, according to what you ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you're not the one who gets the glory. You're not the one who gets the credit. You're not the one who gets the fame. You're not the one who gets the respect. When he does above and beyond, he gets the glory. And that's the guardrail for us. It lets us know we can't use it selfishly. We can't just bend this scripture into any direction that we want. Because at the end of the day, if we want above and beyond, the destination of that above and beyond is the glory of God in us and through us. Some of us have been believing for above and beyond. But we were the destination of the above and beyond. We were the terminal point, the end of the line. But this protects us. It's His glory that happens when He does above and beyond through His Spirit in us. So just a little review. He is able to do above and beyond. You are able according to the power of the Spirit inside of you to do above and beyond. And He gets the glory when above and beyond happen. I mean, that's, I don't know who's made you promises lately, but those are pretty, some, that's pretty amazing. He is able, you are able, and he gets glory. I mean, you can wrap those up, put those in your pocket and carry them around. That'd get you through. So if all that stuff is true, if he's able, if you are able, and if he gets glory, what are you going to do this year? That's a pretty big blank check as you take up the cause of Jesus in the world. What do you want him to do in and through you if he is able and you are able and he gets glory? That's amazing. I think 2013 should be the year of kingdom imagination for us. Where our creativity got fired up and we started going... Oh, yeah. You do above and beyond. Not for me selfishly, but you can do above and beyond. So what can't you do? What are you going to do through me? What are you going to do through our church? Get our creativity into the mix. What is it? When you read the news or see the news or hear about things, what is it in the world that bothers you? What is it that breaks your heart? You know, we live in a culture where it is perpetually hardening our heart. But what is it that when this thing, this problem, this crisis invades your world, it just shatters you? Is it orphans? Is it poverty? Is it education? Is it slavery? 27 million slaves in the world right now. Is it homelessness? What is it that breaks your heart? Is it the lostness of our city? 
is the lostness of the people that you care about, knowing that they are disconnected from the goodness and the mercy of God found in Jesus Christ. What breaks your heart? Well, maybe 2013 is the year of remembering that he is able and you are able and he gets glory. So maybe you should just try to tackle that thing. Maybe you should make a stab at putting a dent into the lostness of our city this year. Maybe because he is able and you are able and he gets glory, we should leverage the power that's inside of us to maybe save some people from homelessness. Maybe we should try to rescue those who are entrapped. Maybe we should knock on somebody's door and just say, hey, you're my neighbor and I want you to know I want to be a neighbor to you this year. What can I do? Can your imagination get into the mix knowing that he is able and you are able and he gets glory? Listen, your flesh and my flesh, it's lazy and it's scared. You in your humanness and me and my humanness, our flesh, it's lazy and it's scared. So when we, when that thing pops into your mind, like, oh my gosh, what if God did this? Most of us will have talked ourselves out of it by the time that we get to our cars in the parking lot. No, I can't work. That's too big. I knew too many people to help me with that. I, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Maybe if I had more time and more money, then I'd be able to do something like that. And the people who have time and money, they're like too busy with other stuff. And the seed of above and beyond, not for ourselves, but for the cause of Jesus will have been taken from us before we take a hundred steps out of here. But listen, 2013 is the year for getting stuff done. It's the year for finally doing what we have imagined God could do through us. You've thought about inviting somebody to church. Hey, 2013 is the year of getting stuff done. You've invited, you, you imagine having that conversation with a family member that you've just never been able to bring up the Jesus thing with them. 2013 is the year for getting things done. You've wanted to give your life to feed people in this sunny, this city. 2013 is the year for getting stuff done. You've wanted to reconcile a relationship that God has, has burdened you for. 2013 is the year for getting things done. All the seeds of faith, all the dreams we've dreamed, all the things we've imagined God can and would do this is the year that they come to bear fruit. Why? Because he is able and we are able. No, 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 no. That's, that's like too, that's too, that's too unrealistic. I've got kids. I've got a husband. I got a wife. I got family time. I got a job. I got all that stuff. It's too unrealistic. Hello. The realistic stuff has already been done. The rest of the world did the realistic stuff. The church 
followers of Jesus, our moment is after everyone else has done the realistic stuff, we step in and say, we serve a God who does the unrealistic. This is our moment. You've had your moment, Greenpeace. You've had your moment, a vague uh, group that uh, feeds people. You've had your moment, people who clothe people, goodwill. This is our moment. This is the church's moment. You've done the realistic stuff. Now it's our turn to do what only God can do. But some of us, we only want to live in the realistic stuff. But that's not the church's place. Anybody can do the realistic stuff. And they already have. Our moment is where the realistic ends. And the supernatural begins. That's your moment. Because that supernatural power that gets stuff done, it lives in you through the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn to James chapter 1. This is where we'll finish this morning. A verse you've seen a thousand times. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, many of us have deceived ourselves because we have thought that wanting to do something is the same as doing something. We've thought if we just had a desire that jumped up in us to to carry the cause of Jesus, that that was faith and that was good enough. But no, just hearing, just thinking is not the same as doing. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and right away forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts this person will be blessed in what he does. Listen, in the pages of this holy word, God has given you a thousand commands, all saying the same thing. Take up the cause of Jesus. Wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, take up the cause of Jesus in that place. So we want to be doers of the word. And I think that if you will listen, and if I will listen, he will give you the specific way he wants you to take up the cause of Jesus in this calendar year. So we're all going to take up the cause, but your way is going to look a little bit different than the person sitting next to you. And that's good. But we want to be doers not just hearers only. Listen, when you leave, there'll be a hundred reasons why you shouldn't take a step towards doing what God is asking you to do. There'll be a hundred reasons. But you only need one reason to follow through. If he has said it, we will do it. Whatever other thousand reasons there are to not do it. If he has said it once, we will do it.
that person will be blessed in whatever he does. So, what will your cup be this year? Will it be small and contained? Will it be the same cup that you handed him last year? Last year was pretty good. It was nice. More of the same would be fantastic. Or this year, could you fire up your creativity, your God-given creativity, and let loose your kingdom imagination, and let him overflow and go above and beyond? all the things that you are asking and thinking. Because 2013 is the year of getting some things done. And we have a God who is constantly doing. And he is constantly filling up cups. Father, we want you to speak to us now. about what path, what problem you want us to give this year to. How is it that you want us to take up the cause of Jesus? We don't dare think that above and beyond is just for our own selfish desires and our selfish ambition. So help us to dream with you, that we would dream the dreams of our Father. And show us, show us that you are able and that we are able, and that when you do above and beyond, you're the one who gets the glory. Why don't you take a a second, just a minute or so, to just ask, what is it that God is putting into your mind and heart? What is the realm, the arena of the cause of Christ that you are going to ask him to do above and beyond? Just take a second, listen, see if he puts anything into your mind. Father, seal that and give us the power to see it through. In Jesus' name.